Welcome to Core Parenting Conversations. My name is Kaylee Kukla, and I've spent more than a decade supporting children and families with challenging behaviors. As a mom of three, I appreciate how overwhelming and exhausting parenthood can often be. So I'm taking all of my professional knowledge coming from over a decade of work experience with my master's degree in early childhood special education and combining it with real mom life, not just the theory, to change the dialogue around parenting. We'll have powerful conversations and you'll gain practical tools that will inspire you to get to the heart or the core of your child's behavior and make simple, yet impactful changes. So let's dive in together. Welcome to another Core Parenting Conversation with Kaylee. And today I have someone I connected with on social and we ended up going back and forth a lot. And then we just connected outside of this parenting coach group that we have individually. And I was like, you have to come on my podcast and talk. It's Sarah Armour. She's an author, certified positive parent master trainer, and she's a mom to two children. We wanted to know one is in heaven and one is on earth, and you are a teacher trainer to many. So, and a cat mom. People can't see you, but you're holding a baby kitten. So Sarah, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much. And the reason I'm holding the baby kitten is she decided to climb up my jeans as you were doing the intro. So I extricated the claws. Parenting is sometimes painful. And here we are together. There we go. And you just got to roll with it, right? So if, if the audience hears meowing in the background, I shared with Sarah before we started recording, look, I'm in my closet recording this. It is summertime. My kids are in the house somewhere with a sitter. And so one door wasn't enough. I had to have multiple layers of sound protection. <laughs> We are just in it with you guys wherever you're we're listening to us today. But one of the things I one of the reasons why I wanted to bring Sarah on the show today is she and I share a heart for the highly sensitive souls, the children who often get labeled as defiant or strong-willed and they're obstinate. They just won't listen. None of the typical parenting, positive parenting techniques work with them. And I think where I like to start with parents is really highlighting like these are really sensitive children. So how does that sensitivity, if they're just higher, more sensitive, how does that change their experience? I love that question. And I'm so glad you started there. Because oftentimes people look at the quote unquote strong willed child and say, heck no, my child is anything but sensitive. They are tough as nails. They push back and fight back on all the things. And they are difficult with a capital D. Mm -hmm. And you nailed it, Kaylee. Really, at the heart of a lot of this tricky behavior is a very, very sensitive soul who wants to be heard, to be validated, to be understood. And oftentimes, for one reason or another, usually at nobody's fault, but we have had a hard time figuring out how to express their sensitivity in emotionally safe ways. And sometimes, just like adults, get defensive, push back, you know, seem to be trickier than others. It's when they feel 
the least understood. So really the, the core of the matter here is finding out how do we get beneath the surface of the behaviors, look underneath and see the child for what they're probably really asking. Gosh, Sarah, I love that you said core because that is at the crux. Like I want to cut through the superfluous stuff and really get to the heart of the matter. And so often these are the children that, you know, if we label, if we name the emotion, if we try the traditional emotion coaching techniques, they are not buying it. In fact, that may further, probably will further escalate them. And so what is it about their experience? This is, I always like parents to see this so they can really empathize and get it. What is it about their experience that makes that emotion coaching, the typical emotion coaching so much more difficult? And how do we kind of work around that? Yeah, I I love your questions. Oh my goodness, this is fantastic. (laughs) So yeah, you're absolutely right. Oftentimes when we try to label their feelings, for example, gosh, Tommy, you're really angry right now. (laughs) Well, you thought Tommy was angry before. You're about to see Mount Vesuvius explode and it's going to get very real very quickly. So where that might work for some children, it really doesn't work. In fact, it totally backfires with a lot of these kids. And effectively what is happening goes back to nervous system science. Children, just like every other child and every other adult for that matter, are operating based on their lack of or abundance of perceived emotional safety. Mm. This beautiful thing called neuroception, and it goes by a couple of different names as well, where we are constantly being aware of whether we are safe or whether we are in danger. We do it at a subconscious level. It's what used to keep people alive. You know, when you're talking about people who not that long ago were living in, not in these fancy houses with like walls and doors that we had today, but much more primitive living arrangements, people had to be on guard all the time. So they had to be aware if an animal was charging, if, you know, an enemy group was coming in, what have you. So they've learned to be, they learned to be hypervigilant. Well, effectively, that still lives in every one of our nervous systems. Mm -hmm. It's in what's called the limbic system, which is one of the first parts of the brain to develop in the womb. And when it is consistently in a state of perceived threat, notice the word perceived. It doesn't have to be real threat at all, but perceived threat, the child will be more reactive. They are going to be in fight or flight mode. So if anybody comes in and says, I'm going to label your feelings for you, their job is going to be, I need to protect myself and I need to do it by being perhaps explosive or what have you because it's a self-protection method. Now, the key here, of course, is creating, or the antidote, I should say, is creating emotional safety for these children so that they can let their guard down a little bit. The more they let down their guard, the less explosive they will be inclined to be because their nervous system is going to start to realize, I'm actually safe here. And you're right, enabling emotions isn't going to cut it. We can talk about what to do instead, but that's happened to you. I want to validate. That's a very real thing. And it makes sense to me. Yes, I want to give parents practical tips. And I also want to point out one of the common parenting mistakes, and maybe you've seen this, is when parents feel like their child is explosive and has a hair trigger, I never know what's going to set them off, right? And it's probably subconscious. They adopt this tiptoeing or walking on eggshells or trying not to step on the landmines 
And so have you noticed that? And then what does that actually do? Because I found that it actually creates more reactivity when parents are tiptoeing or are just trying to avoid those explosive episodes. Yeah, exactly. This is really a tough one. And once again, you hit the nail on the head when we tiptoe, which makes sense because our nervous mm-hmm. systems are also telling us we're not safe unless we tiptoe. Right. This last thing I tried didn't work, it backfired. So I think next time I need to try something else. Our nervous systems are also trying really hard to keep us safe too. So we try this thing, the tiptoeing thing. And to your point, it backfires just as much as the approach number one did. So oftentimes the goal is not to try one extreme or the other. It's kind of like you don't necessarily want to go in the shallow end of the pool every single time. <laughs> because it's older that way, right? Like yep. that doesn't feel good. And yet we also don't want to go off the high dive if we're trying to figure out, is this pool safe? Right. What we really want to do is perhaps stick to, I'm going to continue the swimming pool analogy because we're coming up on summertime. Perhaps we want to sit in the middle and like dangle up to our knees for a couple of minutes. I'm going to see what I can do to create emotional safety. I'm going to take baby steps into the situation. Maybe I'm even going to get introspective and figure out what is my fear? What is my concern? What is my nervous system saying that I need to be the kind of parent that can communicate to my child, you know what, child, I can handle your big feelings. I've got this. I've got you and we're going to be okay. What sometimes happens is when we go tiptoeing in, we inadvertently send the message to our child, I can't handle you. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid of you. And then the child perceives even less safety because they're thinking, wow, my parent couldn't handle my big feelings. Now they're afraid to even show up for me. I'm not even as safe as I thought I was. And therefore it becomes a, a vicious cycle with bigger and bigger behaviors. But when we can simply sit in the middle of the pool, you know, up to our knees, we're perfectly comfortable and show them, you know what, I'm not going to underreact or overreact. I'm just going to be a solid foundation for you. I'm going to be, I love this expression, I'm going to be a soft place for you to land. I can handle your big feelings, but I'm also not afraid of them. Mm -hmm. Children learn, maybe my big person is safer overall, and I don't have to be so explosive with them. You use two analogies that really resonate with me. And I was listening to, I'm a People who follow me know I'm a big Brene Brown fan. She's Her work has just really helped me personally so much. And it's so connected to what we do that the overlaps are insane. But anyway, on one her podcast, and I forget who the interviewee was, but she said, soft front, strong back. So you think of your body and the strong spine holding you up, fortifying you, and the soft belly and your heart, you know, is facing your child. I just I think about that to help myself stay grounded so often with my when my children are being swept away by their own feelings, because I need to show up very confidently, like we got this, but also soften myself enough to be compassionate. And for someone who had hard edges for a lot of years, you know, I need to I needed to work more on softening. But for a lot of parents, they get ooey and gooey and too soft. And they lack that confidence. So I love that middle ground and that pool analogy of like, not off the high dive, but also you don't want to just slowly walk in and take forever because then we know you don't want to get past your belly button. 
Like that's just too much. <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. And fellow Brene Brown fan, I love the, the uh, analogy you shared there too. Yeah, it really resonates. So, okay. So we've talked about like the two common mistakes of, you know, tiptoeing around the feelings or just going in hot and labeling those feelings. What's the different approach? What's a softer startup entrance into helping the child through those big feelings? Yeah, well, one of my very favorite phrases to use in those moments is all of your feelings are safe here. It's simple. And I love two things about it. Number one is it's reassurance to the child that all of their feelings are safe there. They get to feel what they feel. It's validating. It feels safer than, oh my goodness, you're angry. Oh, now I'm being labeled on top of having my feelings. You know, they just get to rest in the safety of hearing that their feelings are safe without us having to label them and make them feel more, you know, afraid of whatever else we might say on top of that. What else I like about it is it's a reminder to us as the Mm. parent or caregiver. It's a reminder to me, Mama Sarah, I need to make it so that my child's feelings are actually safe here. Well, how can I do that? I can sit down. I can choose not to be reactive, but instead to be responsive. I can do things in her environment in that moment to create a sense of safety, but it needs to start with me. Mm -hmm. So interesting. You know, I recently saw a parenting question in a different parenting group asking, will I tell my child to take a breath? And they never do. And there's so much, you know, conventional wisdom of the breathing exercises and breathing calming exercises. And the overwhelming urge for me when I breathe or when my children are having these big feelings is I take the breath. Yeah. And the first breath I take is always for me. You know, I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, let's just get ready. And then the second breath is always a little longer, a little stronger, a little more exaggerated. And that is for my child. And I'm literally in my brain thinking, I hope their nervous system picks up on this. Yes, exactly. That's precisely that. For regulation. Yeah. Because we've got these beautiful things called mirror neurons where emotions really do become contagious. And if we can get regulated first, Mm -hmm. a child can pick up on that. A child cannot become regulated if we are modeling perfect dysregulation. Mm -hmm. I love that you bring that up. You know, and the other part that I was going to add on before about the emotion coaching and, you know, the other problem with that traditional approach is a very common mistake that parents make. I have made it myself, so I'm right there with you. Yeah. You try to have these big discussions oh, yeah. tools in the moment. Nope. Guess what? When a child is in the moment, they can learn exactly nothing <laughs> by me. You know, if I'm downstairs talking to my husband and I'm freaking out about something and he looks at me and says, Sarah, I think you're really angry right now. It might be a good time to take a breath. I'm thinking, uh, husband, it's a good time for you to take a hike. Like this is where we're we're having this discussion. I'm not in a place where I can be rational. I'm upset about something. So we need to move these discussions and these skill building sessions to times when our children are totally regulated. Mm -hmm. And I love this a bit in my book in that we can't be teaching a brain that is offline. But when we sit with our child proactively, maybe we know we have a situation come up 
coming up that is traditionally triggering for them. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they're sensitive and they have a hard time going out to dinner. You know, behavior goes out the window the minute you get in the restaurant and then bedtime takes two extra hours at oh, night, gosh. too yeah. much stimulation, et cetera, et cetera. Well, while you're at the restaurant or while you're trying to do bedtime, now is not the time to go into, here are some skills you can use and here's what you're feeling, whatever. That's like, let's just add another three hours to bedtime, why don't we? The time to be having this discussion is maybe right after breakfast, Mm -hmm. you know, before the stuff happens. You know what? Later tonight, sweetheart, we're going to go out for dinner and I want to find some ways to make this really peaceful to you. Let's practice some things. Let's brainstorm. Let's tell a story about it. Let's make up, you know, a scenario that feels peaceful to you. And let's see how many of these things we can make come true later today when we're really there. Oh, I love that. Make come true. So we're role playing, we're rehearsing, we're prepping, and then we're also inviting them into that collaborative, I want to make this a pleasant experience for you as well. I love that. Yeah. So Sarah, were you a kindergarten teacher or were you a teacher prior to being a parent coach? You know, funny you should ask, I have never been officially a teacher, but I have worked in classrooms all over the country. So I, yeah, I I co-taught with Teacher Tom in Seattle. I have been, you you know, classrooms daily for, for months on end. So yes. This core conversation is made possible through Kaylee's core membership program. If you find yourself soaking up the information in this podcast and others, but still grapple with questions like, how do I get my kid to listen? What happens when I try that and it doesn't work? Or if you just crave like-minded and like-hearted parents who are also on this wild parenthood journey, you found your place in core. I take the theories and strategies and I'm constantly adapting them and applying them to real life through monthly deep dives, handouts, workbooks, and live Q&As. So if you want to take your parenting with intention to the next level, or you just need more support, check out CORE at www.kayleekukla.com backslash C-O-R, or head to the show notes for the link. Well, I knew you had an education background of some some sort. And when I always I've discovered that because I naturally do that like morning meeting, just I fell into it as a mom prepping my kids for the day, especially in the summertime when the days are a little less predictable or less routine. And I realized really what I'm doing is I'm recreating circle time, (laughs) the morning meeting from my teaching days. But that huddle up, that plan does so much for our children. You know, it lets us proactively address those maybe sticky, tricky moments with them. It invites them into this collaborative process so they don't feel, you know, they feel empowered to have some agency and influence over their day. And so I just, I love that framework and that setup and that idea that if you know something is upcoming, Waiting to the heat of the moment is just really setting both parties up for a lot of frustration and not not a lot of learning at that point. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Know. Yeah. And it's fascinating. More of my background, I actually spent 20 years in corporate America before oh gosh, yeah. doing this parenting thing. And I spent a lot of time in very high stakes negotiations. Mm. So one of the skills that I learned... <laughs> years in corporate America was the art of negotiation. Yep. Really, the end game is we want to find win-win 
solutions for everybody. It's not here for me as the parent to win. It's not here for my child to win. It's not a competition like that. Mm -hmm. It's how we brainstorm collaboratively using that beautiful word that you just shared. Mm -hmm. How do we collaborate on finding solutions Mm -hmm. that both of us not only can live with, but feel pretty darn great about too. And the beautiful thing about children is they're so much more creative. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. They're so much more creative than I am. So oftentimes they notice things, they go right outside of the box, they bring in different things that I hadn't even considered yet. And the children that we started talking about, these sensitive souls are so incredibly perceptive. They see so many more connections that most people just miss. So I feel like if you have one of these children, if this is really resonating with you, there's a lot in there, right? That's just waiting to be unlocked. Yeah. And one of the best ways that we unlock this is exactly through the creativity that you described. And I share that again in in my book in a fair amount of detail. It's the magic word of parenting. It's play. We know from Jean Piaget many years ago, who said play is the language of childhood. When we can help our children play through their concerns, play through problem solving, play through their frustrations. We find magic as parents. Magic. Magic. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Playful parenting is everything. We can use it proactively. We can use it in the moment. We can even use it retroactively. And it is such a game changer, especially for these sensitive souls who frankly, it may not tolerate traditional connection very or correction rather very well. Mm-hmm. They may not tolerate being told how they're feeling for your point about emotion coaching. They may literally need to play it out. They might need to say, you know what? The kitten is feeling aggressive right now. The kitten's feeling angry. The kitten's feeling playful. My stuffed animal wants to keep playing. My stuffed animal doesn't want me to go to school. My stuffed animal wants me to stay here. okay, well, let's talk to the stuffed animal instead of the child. And we're more likely to get to the heart of the matter. Play is magic, capital M. You guys couldn't see it because you only hear our voices. But when Sarah said play, I started doing a little happy dance because I, as a parent, so in teacher school, right, in college and grad school, we learn about the magic of play. And Piaget is such a huge piece to really understanding the the cognitive processes behind that and why it's so magic. And then as a parent, I ran into this snag, let's call it, of that as a mom, I have things to do. <laughs> you know, I have a house, I have food, I have other children, I have a job, a husband, like all the things and play quickly what I was really good at as a teacher, as an early interventionist, as a professional, play quickly became burdensome. And I had to do a lot of work to figure out why and also how to get started in playing with my children and learning that magic. So what is your, and I'm sure you have a a treasure trove of tips in your book, but what is like your number one tip for helping parents find that playful side of them? Yeah, brilliant question. So my number one tip is to redefine play as entertaining our children, but doing anything at all that brings us joy. 
Oh, I love that. Say more about that. That's so good. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. You know, I will be the first to admit that a lot of us struggle with play. Mm -hmm. A lot of us do. This is much more common than people think. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people think, oh, but I don't want to sit down and play Barbies for an hour or playing Legos is the bane of my existence or whatever the case may be. Guess what? You don't have to do that. Your child can do that on their own. Your child can do that with another child, perhaps another parent or caregiver. If that's not your thing, don't force it. It's not even going to model emotional authenticity. You don't have to do that. This is all the permission you need. Instead, what I want you to do is say, what do my child and I both enjoy doing together? So for my daughter and me, one of our play languages is reading stories together. Mm. What do you mean? Story time's not playing. Well, does it bring us both joy? Absolutely. Therefore, I'm going to call it play. Sometimes we'll sit down and color together. Sometimes we will, you know, fill up a balloon and do balloon bop back and forth across the living room. Like there are so many different things you can do where you get to have some fun too. Because guess what, parents? You also matter. It's imperative that you have joy in your life for you to be able to share joy with anybody else. Do what brings you joy and it will be contagious. That you can call play. Okay, so I want to give a personal example because everything you said, I'm like, yes, permission to do what brings you joy and to enjoy that with your children. That is unlocking it. So the other night, I booty shake a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I have done that with my sister when we were growing up. We would like booty bump each other. And it's just something I have brought into parenthood. And I promise I only do it to my own kids. Um, You know, booty bump them in the face. And so the other night I was doing that. And my seven and a half year old is now getting to the point where he gets a little embarrassed. Like when mommy starts wiggling, he gets a little embarrassed. And so I started singing. This is a little embarrassing, guys. So just bear with me. I started singing Bootylicious by (laughs) Destiny's Child. (laughs) And then I was like, you know, dinner was over. This is when we were clearing plates from the dinner table. I was like, guys, you've just you've got to hear this classic song. And my husband, who is like a classically trained pianist and loves classic rock, he's like rolling his eyes. He's like, are you really going to put on Destiny's Child for our children. I'm like, yes, I really am going to do this. And so I put on Bootylicious <laughs> and danced while we were clearing the table. And then it turned into a dance party and everybody was taking turns requesting songs. And my boys started drumming. They really love Alexander Hamilton soundtrack. I was bringing back some like 90s hip hop, trying to find the like non-explicit versions of it. But it was so fun. It was so fun. And it was truly play. And it was truly joy. And now this was we usually did dance, we did dance parties every night for months. And then we kind of fell out of the routine. And now again, my children are requesting dance parties after dinner, before bedtime. And it makes such a difference in bedtime. I have happy goosebumps for you. This is absolutely the perfect example (laughs) of play because you had to, you know, lower your guard and just do something absolutely goofy. But look how contagious it is in the very best way. That's great. Yeah, it's just, you know, so I think sometimes when parents hear play, they think of the Barbies or they think of the Legos and like, look, y'all. I teach play to parents. I have, you know, with 
with a special interest in autism and and building, you know, a connection and relationship there. And I hate those things. I tell people, I'm like, your kid, your child's best toy is you. You know, yes. you don't need anything. The balloon bop is so great. That's so organic. It's so easy. Any of these back and forth, I just really think that reflecting on parents' own stuff is so helpful. So I love that you brought that up and brought that to parents' awareness. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. And honestly, even just things like round robin storytelling, and I talk about this in my book as well, you know, sitting at the dinner table, what are we going to talk about? Guess what? Mommy and daddy are talking about all the boring things. And my daughter's like falling off the chair asleep. Like, you know, this is not necessarily a child-focused dinner. Totally. But we can say, you know what? I'm going to start with once upon a time. And then I look at my daughter and she adds something. And then my husband adds something. And next thing you know, an hour and a half has passed at the dinner time, dinner table rather. And we're having fun. We don't do this every single night, but there are so many ways just to connect on a deeper level playfully that don't involve any of the stuff. It requires zero dollars. It just requires a couple of words and a little bit of your time. Yeah. I have to say too, sometimes just in our family, like going out in nature provides so much organic room for play. Sometimes it's really hard because the inside of our houses can be distracting with stuff and um, chores and, and all the things that we're responsible for as parents. So I just love that so much. So before we wrap up, I want to give you a little time to talk about your big book. <laughs> it's been a big project because you've referenced it a few times. And I think it's just such an incredible resource because so much of it highlights what we talked about, you know, those, the emotional safety and the connection and the play and just how game changing that is for parents. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it'll be out. And it's called Peaceful Discipline, Story Teaching, Brain Science and Better Behavior. And I basically go through a lot of stuff, you know, what's going on in, how's that for a preview? A lot of stuff. Um, I go through what's going on in our children, in our children's minds, in their brains developmentally. How can we translate behavior into what they're actually needing? How can we teach them in ways that do no harm? I'm underlining do no harm because we want to raise children who we like and who we feel like they like us most of the time and children who are going to come back and visit us someday, you know, when we're old and gray, we want to have connection-based relationships. I talk about using stories and play preventatively in the moment and retroactively to heal all sorts of tricky situations. And I also very gently and compassionately talk about why so many of the common parenting methods really are ineffective and what we what we can be doing instead and why it matters so much. So I'm really hopeful that this book will serve people and bring more peace to homes everywhere. Well, goodness, Sarah, I'm so excited for it because it sounds like everything that I also work towards, you know, the information to just bring into the world because it really is I think, a healing force that our world desperately needs. <laughs> and I'm excited. I'll have you back on. I want to read it and get a copy when it comes out. And then we'll have you back on and we can focus in on the book. I'll have my highlighter. I wish I had one of the books. Oh, I do. But it's underneath my computer. I read with post-it notes, highlighters and a pen. And I write thoughts and highlight things and then sticky note the heck out of the book. So I'm <laughs> one of those like geek out on information. 
So I'm so excited for it to come out. What a gift to the world. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here, Sarah. What we'll do is we'll put, you have such a thriving social media community, primarily on Facebook and Instagram right now. Yep. All right. So we'll link. But I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter, but I do technically have Twitter too. You do have to. I'm impressed. I don't have Twitter. I'm like, I just can't hang. I just can't hang. I recently started TikTok. I'm like, that's enough. I'm good. I'm tapping out. Yeah, but really Instagram and Facebook are my main ones right now. Great. So we'll link that for everybody to find you in the show notes um, and any other resources you want to put out there into the world. Thank you so much for being here today, Sarah. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you. 